Hey, hey, water coolians. Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today, we are joined by a new friend of the program, Zoheb Ali from Midnight Double Feature Podcast, to have an insightful conversation about Oscar bias and Zootopia's racial impact. Uh, one of the best parts of the episode for me was having a conversation around the importance of consuming media, whether that be a movie, TV show, piece of music, etc., and the importance of its emotional connection. You know, you look at like a film like Batman and Robin, directed by the uh, the recently passed Joel Schumacher. Was it <laughs> was it a good movie? <laughs> Abs- absolutely not. But I remember watching that movie as a kid and just enjoying the ridiculousness of what was being created. And because of that, and his directing of other movies I enjoyed, like The Lost Boys and The Phantom of the Opera, you know, his death meant a little more to me and many others. As we discuss in this episode, and the ideas we hit upon in the previous episode with Marla, art matters. Those that create art help bring forth this sense of community. Batman and Robin may not have been a good movie, but for 125 minutes, it brings together a group of people that can escape the negativity of the real world and just laugh you know laugh together laugh at the ridiculous amount of mr freeze puns bat nipples and the bat credit card just just laughing together and having those moments is what makes art so important and i think i think people forget that sometimes it's not about you know what movie the critics think is the best movie of the year it's not about what movie makes the most it's about you know what movie connects with you and regardless if that movie's good if it's bad if it has an emotional connection and i think you know both uh zoheb and myself agree on this if that movie if that piece of media has some sort of emotional connection to you it doesn't matter what other people think enjoy whatever it is don't let other people tell you it sucks because yeah it may suck but for you it means something and at the end of the day that's all that matters In this episode, we discuss if Oscar-winning movies are a direct representation of what society enjoys. Zoheb lets me take the reins of his podcast, Midnight Double Feature, for a mini-mini version. And we end this episode by having a conversation about Zootopia and if watching it can make you a better person. Uh, So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 41 titled Oscar Bias with Zoheb Ali. Enjoy. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. I've listened to quite a few episodes. You say you're, you know, a film, you got the film mind. So I want to put that to the test before we start. In your opinion, what is one of, and this doesn't have to be set in stone, so don't, no pressure, this is not a film podcast, but in your opinion, what is one of the most iconic one-liners in movie history? Oh, boy. <laughs> no pressure. Okay, so you're, you're giving me some parameters here because you're saying iconic and not favorite or best. So iconic means something that's been rooted in, in society, something that, you know, if you say it, everyone's going to know exactly what it is. I'm going to have to say, welcome to Jurassic Park. Look, the titles, the titles in there, you know, they're going to know exactly what movie that's from. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in my opinion, man, Jurassic Park is, uh, Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park is one of the most iconic films of all time and holds up just amazingly, what, 25 years later. This is like the 27 years later, sorry. It had its 27th anniversary a couple of days ago. But yeah, Welcome to Jurassic Park. Just just hearing that gives me chills, you know, like just hearing that gives me the whole, okay, I know exactly what I'm in for. 
uh, I'm in for. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm, I'm I'm about to be lost in this whole new world that Spielberg's created. So that that might be my most iconic line of all time. You know, that is a movie that's very well known. Uh, if you said favorite line, it probably the answer would probably be a little little different. But iconic, yeah, absolutely. I, I you know what? Now that now that you've talked through that, I definitely agree. Like when I first thought of it, I was like, you know, what? it's going to be either we're going to need a bigger boat or yippee ki motherfucker. Those are like things you can hear in like everyday speech. Exactly. Like people will say that just like throughout a conversation, and it's just like, all right, I get it, I get it. There's some impact there. And and another one is uh, where we're going. We don't need roads. Uh, I mean, right at the end of uh, Back to the Future there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Zoheb, let's start into our first news story. This is from Variety Film News. This is from January 25th, 2020. Carrie Mulligan suggests Oscar voters need to prove they've seen the movies. While doing press for her Sundance premiered film Promising Young Women, Carrie Mulligan was asked about her thoughts on the 92nd Academy Awards decision to nominate five men in the Best Director category, even though that year in film had had a landmark year for films made by women. Uh, In 2019, 10.6% of the 100 highest grossing films of the year were directed or co-directed by women, including the hits Captain Marvel and Frozen 2. This is a sharp increase from the figure in 2018, which saw 4.5% of directed or co-directed films by women on that same list. Uh, Carrie Mulligan stated, I don't think you can watch those films and not think that they deserve recognition, so I think they need to be watched. I wonder if the system works in terms of getting sent... 100 screeners and maybe you shouldn't be allowed to vote unless you can prove that you've seen every single one there should be a test um because the films that did i in my opinion get um left out are indisputably brilliant but i I mean i think certainly progress in terms of are you talking about little women are you talking about hustlers little women of course and the farewell but i feel like the fact that they're all getting made and they are getting celebrated in some form is progress but it's all baby steps little woman directed by greta gerwig who had been nominated for five awards at the 90th academy awards for her directorial debut ladybird uh she had been the only woman nominated that year for best director uh she eventually lost to guillermo del toro's the shape of water received six nominations at the 92nd uh, academy awards including best picture but only one for best costume design it's true that Oscar consultants will often say, privately that is, that the 8,469 eligible Oscar voters, which is a jump of 35% from four years ago when the Oscars faced the controversial Oscar so white hashtag, don't have time to sit through more than a handful of movies from the previous year before their official selection ballots are due before the deadline of January of the new year. Uh, according to Variety, each of the 8,469 eligible voters belong to one of 17 branches, for example, actors, cinematographers, costume designers, editors, etc., and each branch nominates for its own category while the entirety of the eligible voters nominate for Best Picture. Once the final selections are chosen, everyone votes on the winner for each nomination. Emerald Fennell, the director of Promising Young Women, continued on Mulligan's remarks. I think you said it beautifully. The truth of it is is that, as you say, getting sent 100 screeners, people, you know, the Academy and, and all, I suppose all of these um, institutions have members who are incredibly busy. And so it is, it's, it's difficult to make sure that people have seen everything, watched mm. everything. And necessarily, I think the way that humans are is they tend to watch the, they prioritize the things that they, they're comfortable with, that they mm. like, and or they think they, they think they'll like, they anticipate liking it. So they will go with really, you know, established filmmakers making movies about, um, subjects that they've, 
they kind of know very well. So before we get into this discussion, Zoheb, you're from Australia. I want to know, like, just how how are the Academy Awards viewed in Australia? You know, obviously, you're someone who's really into film, you know, you know, you host a film podcast, Midnight Double Feature, you're in it. But for like the everyday Australian, how do they view Hollywood's take on the best films of the previous year? If you're not if you're not in the, I guess, in the in the sphere, in the conversation, if you're if you're not really in the film sort of world, you very rarely would you find someone who's really into the whole academic, sorry, <laughs> academy. Holy, wow, couldn't get the word out. You know, it, it's interesting because when the when the awards are, are air over here, there it's it's during business hours. You know, it's always a Monday. Well, <laughs> you know, that's Sunday night in in LA. So I've taken a day off once <laughs> to watch the Oscars, and this this year actually, you know, I watched most of it while I was working at work. But it is, you know, it's not that big of a thing here you know you will find people who love film like i do who go hard on the oscars i always make a, an effort to watch every nominated best picture film before the oscars when the best picture gets announced i'm always like okay like you know i've seen all of the nominees i'm ready to go in my mind i know who's gonna win uh, i have my own personal pick but in terms of australian culture the oscars aren't really a big a big factor you know and that might come down to a few things that might come down to the fact that australian film the australian film industry isn't as obviously quite as large as the american film industry but there is there is some traction there like it, it's just not it's just unfortunately you know the, the the oscars aren't they're not as i guess prevalent you know you wouldn't find someone off the street and be able to have a, a, a talk about the best picture winner of 1986 like you know you wouldn't be able to find like that's just something that doesn't happen but i mean like people are interested i know people are interested like i mean when when the oscars this year's oscars in particular was happening and i was watching it at work you know i had a few co-workers come up to me and be like hey yeah are you watching the oscars you know who are your picks blah blah, blah. you know they're, they're genuinely interested as to see who would win and you know i gave them the whole background of parasite i gave them the whole background of the irishman being a netflix film and it potentially might not be able to win best picture because you know although it's nominated for best picture it might not win because the academy doesn't really like the streaming services and you know parasite being a korean film that might work for or against it you know the the academy might make a historic move here considering that they did get a, a bit of backlash not nominating any women female directors you know it was it, it was interesting to see how people would approach me at work this year because people people are interested about the oscars but i don't think anyone actually sits down and watches the three-hour presentation <laughs> or anything like that you know because it does replay like you know they do replay it like out of business hours but i i don't think it's as it's as big as 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 uh, as it should be you know i, I wish it was uh, a lot of people like oh you know they always give it to movies that i never hear about and i'm just like you know what that's a fair point that's a very valid point which kind of like gets into what we're going to talk about right like our question yeah no i think it, it's so interesting to see how two different cultures view something that you know oscars are so iconic here in the u.s it's like everybody growing up wanted to be a filmmaker in the u.s is like i want to win an oscar but even like you in like an episode of Midnight Double Feature, you talked about like The Last Dance being on Netflix. The Last Dance isn't on Netflix in the US. So it's like we're also consuming different media from different sources. You know, I, I appreciate you sharing kind of the 
the difference there. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I mean, the the again having the having our podcast, I've noticed different ways that we all consume media and the way that we all kind of like approach it. Like, I mean, for example, you guys have HBO as its own channel. <laughs> we don't have HBO as its own channel. We have specific licensing deals between our own streaming services. We have Stan, which is our own streaming services, and obviously Netflix. Uh, and Foxtel is a massive uh, cable company. You know, it's owned by Rupert Murdoch, um, who's, I mean, obviously a big me- media mogul. I mean, we have our own licensing deals. Uh, and the way that we consume media, you know, shows like Watchmen or Chernobyl that are HBO massive blockbusters that you guys are able to access under probably HBO Now or, 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 or Go or, you know, your own your own dedicated HBO cable channel. We don't have that. We need to sign up for for Foxtel, which comes with its own price tag, which is hefty. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine so. Uh, and then you you know you kind of mentioned it, and you shared your thoughts on the Academy Awards on Midnight Double Feature. You know, saying that you are one of the people that say they matter. You enjoy competition, and most of the time, the films that win are deserving. Do you still feel that way? Is that still is that still the feeling? I do. I mean, like, look, I think more often than not, the Academy does get it right. But that's only in my opinion. Like, I don't, I don't think that the Academy goes for the popular pick, but I do think more often than not, they go for the right pick in terms of artistry. They do, they do get it wrong though. And I mean, like, I can get into some specifics where they did get it wrong. Like, there's the, like, like Green Book, if we're going to throw a movie out there. <laughs> right. Like, like Green Book. Like, I mean, and look, I like Forrest Gump. I do, but there's no way that it wins over Pulp Fiction. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like, you know, I, I kind of I kind of disagree with you a little bit. You know, I think I think people forget who votes on the Oscars. You know, it's people in the industry. So obviously they're going to vote for friends. And, you know, it's like in grade school, your you know friend ran for student president. There's a good chance you're going to vote for them over anyone else. So it's a very politically biased award show. And it's politically biased towards these, you know, shows or movies that people prefer. And like, you know, the director of um, Emerald Fennel said, you know, a lot of these people don't have the time because they're actors, they're editors, they're cinematographers, they're costume people, they're working. I love film. I don't know how many films you watch a year, but I definitely can't watch a hundred in a year. That's insane. Uh, so I definitely understand kind of her point. I definitely agree with her more than Carrie Mulligan, her point on, you know, people are going to go with the people that they trust you know it's the same situation we have in news is you know not everyone can read news article after news article after news article so they go to sources that they trust you know if martin scorsese makes a film and as long as it's not new york new york there's a good chance it's going to be a good film so it's like of course martin scorsese when he makes a film he's probably going to be nominated for best director yeah i mean like there is there is there is a lot of bias i mean there is a lot of you know oh i heard that this like this person that i trust uh tells me that this movie is good so i'm just going to automatically assume and go in like pretty much assuming that this movie is good like even though i haven't seen it even though maybe i've seen parts of this movie i'm just going to assume that it's good you know there is that there is that element of it it it's tough because i i can probably tell you that i maybe have seen 100 films a year. 
<laughs> uh, you know what? Because uh, Matt, Matt and I, uh, who is one of my co-hosts and Midnight Double Feature, we, we do little quick fire reviews on some of our other episodes. You know, at the end of the year, we tally them up and they are astounding. I think like one year it was like 80 something. So I mean, like I wouldn't be surprised if one one of the years I hit 100. Um, I, I go out of my way to watch the best picture films. Like, you know, I sit down and I'm like, okay, like give me what the Academy is going for. I'm not someone who solely relies on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic or anything like that as like a you know surefire indicator of like whether a movie is good or bad but if Rotten Tomatoes is telling me that most critics are leaning towards the the fact that a movie is really good or good you know if it's a if it's an 80 if it's an 80 score then I'm like okay you know what I have to go check this out but if it's something that's a bit mixed and I'm a bit more you know hesitant on I have some trepidation and you know obviously if they're all leaning left if they're all leaning towards the negative then I'm just like oh maybe I'll just give that a, you know give that a bit of a skip you know I think I think as humans bias works differently for everyone but I always say this when I review movies uh, there will never be a movie that I that I review objectively uh there's just no way you know there's there's no way that I I can't separate my nostalgia or love for a director or hate for a director or love for an actor or hate for an actor there's no way i can separate that when i'm watching a movie it'll it'll always be there as much as i don't want it to be uh, when i read a review when i watch a documentary i know that there's someone writing a, a review or, or, or directing a documentary documentaries are supposed to be objective the fact of the matter is they're just not I've seen some fantastic documentaries lately we were just talking about the last dance i think it's an absolutely fantastic piece of filmmaking but I 100% know that it is directed by a person. It is funded by Michael Jordan. <laughs> so, I mean, like, how how objective can it be? You know, I just kind of take him with a pinch of salt. Well, do you, do you find Carrie Mulligan's comments about eligible Oscar voters needing to prove that they've seen every film up for nomination before voting? Do you find that respectable? Do you find it you know, maybe a slight at the Academy for not nominating more female-led films or something else entirely. I, I do agree for the most part that, you know, it should be a given that Academy voters see everything. It should be, that should be assumed knowledge. You know, if you're watching the Oscars and you've, you see something win, you should, you as the audience member should already assume that the voters have seen this movie. That is something that that should be 100% known. But the fact of the matter is, like you were talking about, practically, it's just not achievable. These people are out there making films. These people are, you know, trying to get their own projects completed. They're, they're trying to, you know, help other projects. And that takes time. You hear all the time about directors who haven't been able to, you know, see other movies. Like I think Quentin Tarantino, when he was making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, really wanted to see a specific movie, but I just I can't for the life of me remember what it was. And he just he couldn't see it. He just he's just like, I really need to get this movie out the door. I, this is my passion project. I need to get Once Upon a Time in Hollywood out the door for it to make its release date. And it's just it's 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 just practically not possible. Just that big of a group to see every movie out there that is hailed as just a great movie, you know? So it, it is it is interesting to me. Like, Carrie Mulligan is someone that I really respect. She's a great actress. She's phenomenal in Drive, right? I mean... It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, Drive is absolutely incredible. We can, we can, we can go offline about Drive, don't worry. Um, <laughs> But no, I definitely I definitely understand your point. It's, you know, it's part this is part of their job, you know, that you have to sign up to do this. You have to be approved by the Academy. You have to have like a film credit within the past 10 years. You have to be a part of this. So it is something you sign up for. It's something people want to do. So if you're adding that to you, you know, your everyday life, you should find 
at least enough time to consume enough media so you have or enough of these films maybe not 100 because yeah 100 is not practical you know i'm in the podcast business you're in the podcast business i don't listen to every single podcast that's ever been podcasted you know it's just impossible i would love to but as you're saying with quentin tarantino you know i put so much work into my own show it's like Sometimes I just got to focus on me right. and I don't have the time to consume other people's stuff. So, you know, when it comes to movies, it is one of those things, you know, Carrie Mulligan, I very much respect her. She's an incredibly talented actress. You know, I look forward to watching this movie she mentioned, but it is one of those things where you kind of have to kind of going back to the thoughts of Emerald, Emerald Fennel, uh, the director of the movie is, you know, it's just not practical and you have to kind of trust people to do that but i kind of see your point as well it's like if you sign up to do this you should be responsible enough to actually consume the films no no i absolutely agree and there's this level of uh confirmation bias or you know group thinking you know if 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 a critic is going to receive a screener for a film and one of their friend critics is going is has already told them oh look you know i didn't really think that that highly of that movie and it's directed by someone that they might not have heard of like you know just a just a small name director that they're not really very keen to see or or hear from then the movie kind of like gets thrown by the wayside i mean like uh, one of the one of the examples that Carrie Mulligan used, I believe, was like you said, Hustlers, right? So Lorraine Scafaria. Yeah, and with Jennifer Lopez. Right, Jennifer Lopez, and um, God, for the life of me, I can't remember. Constance Wu was she in that movie? I don't know the second person, but I definitely I I know Jennifer Lopez because they were talking about getting her nominated. Jennifer Lopez definitely in it. I I watched that movie, and like, look, I'm not a sexist. <laughs> you know, I I'm not someone who who judges a movie based on what gender the person is who directed it. That's not me at all, Luke. Catherine Bigelow is one of my favorite directors of all time. I love the movie she puts out. I did not, As I'm watching Hustlers, I did not think that that, that movie deserved to be nominated for anything. <laughs> um, I think the, the, the one thing, if anything, it would be uh, Jennifer Lopez's performance. But I, at the same time, I, I didn't think it was, it was that, that decent of a movie. And especially last year. Last year was just an incredible year for film, like all around. The the ten movies that were nominated, it might have been nine, I can't remember. They were just so strong and just such great contenders. For best picture. For best picture, yeah. You know, I'm watching Hustlers and at that, at that point I'm just like, Well, Hustlers doesn't have a shot, you know. You have movies like The Irishman might have been one of my favorite movies last year. I love The Irishman. I know it gets a lot of flack for being three and a half hours and being very slow, (laughs) but I I just thought it was a great reflection on, you know, how a a criminal looks back at his life and regrets his life. I just I just thought it was a fantastic film. And you know, on top of that Well that's if you if you mind me jumping in there, like that's a good example of like you know, the bias that we've been kind of agreeing on here is I grew up on Scorsese. Goodfellas was is by far one of the favorite my most favorite movies of all time. And, you know, I think a lot of people enjoy Scorsese. So the Irishman kind of felt like the the farewell to the gangster films he's made, you know, Casino, Goodfellas, those types of movies. So I think a lot of people were invested in the farewell of Scorsese and the gangster flicks. And I think that's why a lot of people, you know, even it even though it is a very long movie, you know, Scorsese tends to like the extended cuts, but people still enjoyed it because they had that previous connection to who Scorsese was, what he had done for the gangster films. You know, even a good example, I guess, to make it a little easier is I used to watch Anchorman every other Friday in high school. Like it was like religious. Anchorman 2 is such a bad movie. But I still enjoyed it because I I had that connection to Anchorman and what Anchorman meant to me in my life. 
And yeah, I think a lot of the times when we, you know, think of the Oscars, we think of these voters, there is that implicit bias to this is what I enjoy, or I enjoy this director, I enjoy this actor. So I'm going to even though I might not see their film, I'm still going to vote for them. It's I mean, I don't know how the elections work in Australia. But that's exactly how the elections work here in the US. It's like it's more name recognition, I'm going to vote for this person, because I know their name, I may not know their policies, you know, it sucks, I'm not going to research their policies, but I'm still going to vote for them because they have recognition in my life. And I think it's the same for Oscar voters. They're like, you know what, I know who this person is, they've made good films. So I'm going to vote for them. And I don't need to watch that movie. I can spend that time watching another movie I may not know as much about. There is there is that. Absolutely. And like, you know, people do call out the Oscars a lot of the time for uh, awarding actors and directors for films that they should not have been awarded for like let's let's take leo for example right leo 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 has been nominated so many times uh and he won for the revenant i think he pulled in a great performance for the revenant but in my personal opinion i think he had a more a a better performance and more wide-ranging performance he had so much more to do in the wolf of wall street than he did for the revenant you know i i I thought he should have won for the wolf of wall street but didn't um you know those are kind of called unofficially like achievement awards where the academy recognizes an actor who has put in so much work in their career that they win for a film that is not as strong as what they're doing or what they've done but they win anyway based on their previous stuff so that kind of already feeds into what you're talking about here the bias and like knowing the big name right in terms of the oscars giving an award to the bigger name. I don't think that really happens. I mean, I mean, like, I don't think it happens as often as people kind of perceive it to. Let's say Green Book, right? We both agree that Green Book should not have been a movie that that won. I think, right? Like, I think we're both on the same page on that. I I believe it should have been nominated. I don't think it should have won. Exactly. Like, same page. I think it's a great film. I think it tells a a great story with great acting, great cinematography, whatever. I think it should have been Black Klansman that should have won, in my opinion. Spike Lee is such a bigger name. Like Spike Lee. You know, this is a this is a director who's rooted himself into, you know, cinema by telling just such important stories. I mean, like, do the right thing is just an incredible story, dude. Granted, the Five Bloods just came out two weeks ago. I love the Five Bloods. The in this case, the uh, the Academy gave it to Adam McKay. Sorry, it's not Adam McKay. It's Peter Farrelly. Sorry, I'm I'm thinking about Vice. Sorry, the director of Vice. Oh, Adam, yes, Adam yes, McKay okay. won for the Big Short. Yeah, sorry. Um. He won screenwriting for for Big Short. Sorry, I get I get those too confused. But you know what I'm saying. So Peter Farrelly did you know something about Mary. You know, like he's one half of 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 one of those zany of those or like the directors who do those zany movies. So it's interesting that Green Book won over Black Klansman, where the director is known for comedy and not Oscar worthy comedies. Like their comedies are very screwball. The bias argument is kind of flipped on its head in the in the 2019 argument. Well, I think kind of to clear up my point a little bit, I meant more of just like getting to the nomination. Because like, obviously, once you have like the nominated uh, movies, you have everyone, the 8,500 people voting on it. So I feel maybe more the bias to clear up my point, maybe more of the bias is cutting down the movies from say 100 movies to, you know, the 15 that are, you know, eventually nominated. And then I think the Oscar voters then have the opportunity to like, all right, I can watch 15 movies instead of watching 100 movies. I don't know if that makes it <laughs> clearer or not. No, no, that does make it clearer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to be nominated, yeah, there, there might be a bit more bias than the win, absolutely. And, and you know, 
like bringing down the sample size would absolutely would absolutely help. But at the same time, we are we're currently living in a I think an era where more and more movies we're seeing we're seeing much better quality movies uh, coming out more and more often. That's a good thing all around, right? I mean, you know that this might be something that the Academy might need to consider. The fact that we are getting so many movies out there that are just so top-notch and quality let's take the situation we're in right now we're in covid most of the movies have been shut down you know the you know, the oscars have pushed back their eligibility criteria two months the oscars aren't going to air in february as they always do it's going to air in april but at the same time since the start of the year we've had some great films the invisible man is a genre film and it's not really an oscar film but it is a movie that's worthy of being nominated i think there's definitely some categories that, that movie should 100 percent be nominated in we we're just talking about the five bloods spike lee's film delroy lindo is 100 percent going to be nominated for a for an oscar you know the academy should take into account the fact that filmmakers new and ex- sorry new and existing filmmakers are looking at what audiences consider good, what audiences are receptive to. And I think the Academy should be looking at that in terms of, you know, sending out screeners and sending out press packs to to, to critics who are who are voting and actors who are voting, people in the industry who are voting. I, I do agree with you there. I think they should sort of expand their scope a little bit. Well, to kind of jump on that, you know, you, Zoheb, you've, you know, you've worked in a movie theater growing up. You host a film-related podcast that covers a wide range of movies, Midnight Double Feature. So it's safe to say you know your shit. I mean, obviously, whatever you say about movies, I'm going to be like, all right, yeah, he, he knows, he knows. <laughs> so are Oscar-winning movies a good representation of what society enjoys watching? In a nutshell, no. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to... Just gonna right, you I, know, right, put it right out there. I'm, I'm just gonna say no. Like when you you know suggested this topic to me, I was like, man, that is such a great question that I would love to get into. I looked at the question and I was like immediately like, no, there's no no, they just don't. Um, the Oscars have fallen into this sort of like they've been doing it for years. I, I say fallen, but they've been doing it for years where they where they pick movies that people have not seen that they consider good. And look, I consider them good. I don't think there is a best picture film that has. That is absolutely garbage. You know, like I, I think they are really, they kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of artistry. Maybe Crash. <laughs> I just, <laughs> Maybe I was just Crash is not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I think more often than not, in terms of like what the director's going for and in terms of, in terms of artistry, they do get it right. But in terms of what society enjoys watching, I think that number or that you can measure that a lot better by looking at box office numbers i I don't think box office numbers really correlate to quality i think it really correlates to enjoyment or word of mouth or popularity which is the best way to gauge what society is into let's take a look at avengers endgame avengers endgame is now the most whatever (laughs) you know it's the highest uh, banking billions upon billions of dollars billions upon billions of dollars marvel you know i'm a big i love marvel like i'm a big marvel fanboy but at the same time i wholly recognize that it should not win best picture you know it is it is a it is a film that People have looked forward to, and audiences were extremely receptive to it. It is a, it is a, it is a landmark film in terms of what that studio was going for, in terms of what they were trying to tie up in that one movie. And audiences ate that up. You know, society enjoys that, enjoyed the hell out of that movie. But the Academy, that's not what the Academy goes for when it, when it looks at pushing the industry forward. You know, granted, Grant Green Book is not a movie like that 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 pushes the <laughs> in, industry forward either. But I think Parasite 
is a movie that pushes the in- that pushes the industry forward. You know, that is the first time a international film has won Best Picture. Uh, you know, that is the first time the Academy has looked out to other countries outside of the U.S. and been like, "Wow, another country can put forward a Best Picture winner." Well, that's kind of how I felt with Black Panther. Black Panther is a good film. The impact it made in you know the black community was huge it was impactful it's an impactful movie but once you start rewatching it a few times it's not the greatest movie i mean the fight scene at the end like that's i mean everyone makes the same joke it's ps1 graphics you know obviously it was rushed <laughs> to get that done so kind of i want to jump on what you said previously it's like there's a lot of very very good movies these days before i felt like the oscars the best picture uh, specifically, I know this uh, article talks about the best director, but the best picture was like built for Oscar movies. The Green Book is an Oscar movie. It was made to be nominated for best picture. It's one of those films where it's done well, it's acted well. The acting's almost to a point over the top, but not too much. And you know, the cinematography's done really well. It's like a, it's about a story, like a usually a racially charged story. And you know, it's just one of those films where it's like, if once you see it, you're like, you know what? I just need to see that once. That's how I feel like Oscar movies, like Oscar best picture winning movies are. Like Moonlight, once again, an amazing film, but I can only watch it once. La La Land, I've seen that film multiple times. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because you, you're, you're literally, <laughs> it's like you're reading the sentences in my brain because uh, you're reading this like word for word uh, exactly how I feel. Like when, you know, when that mess up happened with the best picture and she said, uh, La La Land, I was like, yes, thank you. Like the Academy giving it to a film that is incredibly well made and incredibly well directed. That society enjoys. Enjoys. Yeah, exactly. So you not got- saying, not saying, you know, yeah, not saying Moonlight was a bad film, but the world enjoyed La La Land and people wanted to see it win, but Moonlight is an Oscar movie. That's what I'm saying. So. Moonlight is an Oscar movie, but it's just, it's interesting because La La Land was so much a better directed film. Like, cinematography was better, score was better, the acting was, you know, like Moonlight was a fantastic, you know, film and acting, whatever, what have you. But I think Gosling and Stone in that movie in, in La La Land just absolutely knocked it out of the park. You know, the, the costume design was just absolutely on par. It was absolutely fantastic. La La Land did nothing wrong. I think it is almost, if not a perfect film. So it's really it's really interesting that the that the Academy actually reverted to choosing an Oscar film. You know, I, I like that was disappointing to me when they kind of like called that back. There are times when we can look at an at a movie and be like, I'm uh, this is a movie that I'm only ever going to watch once because it's an Oscar movie. I think 12 Years a Slave is an outstanding film. That is a movie I'll only ever watch once in my life, only because it is such a harrowing film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just such It takes a- so much out of you. It does. I feel I felt exhausted after watching that movie. Conversely, I think there's another movie that that I'd like to talk about that is very much like Moonlight where it is an Oscar film, but at the same time, I think it tells a very important story. I think it's very well acted, very well shot, very well scored. And, you know, it is not a movie that society, it, you know, it's not a very high, high, highly grossing film, but I think it is a movie that should be, that should be seen because of the recognition it got because of one best picture and that is Spotlight. I love Spotlight. Spotlight is one of my favorite films of all time. I think it tells an incredibly amazing story that just, you know, the, the, the Boston Globe just blew the lid off the Catholic Church. And I think the Oscars provided like a, 
somewhat an, of an advertisement for that film. A lot of people had never heard of that film until it won Best Picture. Whereas, like, you know, because I make a point to see the Best Picture nominees, I walked out of that film and I was like, okay, that's winning Best Picture. Not only because I knew it was an Oscar film, you know, it's you know, there, there's long takes, there's long monologues, there's very dramatic acting. What the what the Oscars love, what the Academy loves, but at the same time, I was like, that had a profoundly emotional impact on me. I think this is a film that society, and I'm going to use the word enjoy very hesitantly because it's not a movie that this one would enjoy, but it is a movie that people should should <laughs> should watch to uh, kind of broaden their minds. I enjoyed it if it helps, but <laughs> yeah, there you go. But no, yeah, I think I think the most important thing for me at least when talking about do the Oscars represent what people in society enjoy saying no is there are so many freaking award shows there's the people choice awards if you want awards that at least here in the u.s there's the people choice awards that people vote on there's the critics choice awards there's there's a a handful of awards independent spirit yeah if you don't like what the oscars are choosing because it's industry people choosing industry movies we talked about this in another episode with cecil harris use your viewership watch something else you know the oscars every year they become lower and lower in viewership so they're finding changes you know ever since oscars so white they've been hiring more people more women more minorities if you don't like you know what the oscars are choosing you know just because we have this prestige here in the u.s at least of what the oscars are doesn't mean you have to take them at face value you know maybe in 20 years we have something different that represents film across the u.s and hopefully into the world but it's like you know what if you don't like the oscars if you don't like the films they're choosing probably another award show that may have your similar representation and that is that is a good way to put it absolutely i think a lot of people a lot of people can't look at it that way only because the oscars are just so prestigious you know the oscars are advertised everywhere you know you you hear critics you hear people on the news talking about the oscars and and everything like that it gets the advertisement it gets the prestige that a lot of other shows, a lot of other award shows don't get, like the Independent Independent Spirit Awards. You know, like I was saying, you know, as a filmmaker growing up, you want to win an Oscar. Yeah, it's ingrained in society. You know, like one of my favorite moments last year though was Adam Sandler winning Best Actor for um, the in- Independent Spirit Awards, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems, exactly. Um, and then you know, just the shock of him not being nominated um, for for an Oscar was just like, whoa, okay. He was he was absolutely incredible in that film. So I'm glad he got recognition elsewhere. You know, yeah, it's you know, change your viewership habits. Uh, I would like to welcome to the show Zoheb Ali. Zoheb is one of the hosts of the weekly podcast Midnight Double Feature. Zoheb, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Really appreciate it, man. Uh, much of what you do as a host of Midnight Double Feature is break down movies, trailers, you get in depth, you know your shit, like I said. You know, one of the reasons I found myself listening to your show is because of the passion. Like, you guys have such good passion behind the breakdowns. You guys know what you're talking about. You know, it's not it's not one of those movie podcasts where it's just a few friends getting together in a basement and talking BS about movies. You know, there there is BS and you guys have fun, but the premise and the execution are solid. It sounds amazing. Um, you know, as we talked about before we started recording, you had never even met, you know, the other host of the show, Colin, before he's starting a podcast a few years back. As I mentioned, you know, it feels like you guys are best friends and you guys have known each other your entire life. But before <laughs> I'll get to my question before I ramble on my soapbox. What makes a good 
iconic piece of media for you. And I say media, it doesn't need to be film. It doesn't need to be TV. It could be, you know, I know you had your like best of 2019 and there's a few songs in there, a few albums, you know, it doesn't just what makes an iconic piece of media to you? Yeah. Um, I mean, firstly, thank you so much for the kind words, man. <laughs> like that was, it's, it's good. It's good to hear. Like whenever I listen to a new podcast, the first thing I always take into account is just how it sounds and your guys's podcast sounds so freaking good so it's actually enjoyable to listen to and then when you get to the actual premise it's like all right these guys know what they're talking about <laughs> yeah i mean like look sound quality is a big a big issue for me i mean if i you know I'm, I'm always like trying to look for ways to to better it i don't think that i can actually attain a perfect sound quality like i just think it's impossible the same, the yeah. same. i'm trying to perfect it and I just feel like I'm making it worse. <laughs> right. You can only get so close, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes the episode ends up being a little bit of a dud, but hey, like, you know, we recorded it. It's out there. We're going to put it out there. You know, we're always in uh, in search of that constant, perfect sound quality. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much, man. That really means a lot. Um, in terms of what makes a, a an iconic piece of media for me, and this is something that, you know, it's funny that you bring up the 2019 uh, you know, best of 2019 episode because that was something that I really had to consider seeing as we widened the scope of what we could, what was eligible. We widened it from film, like so we we wanted to talk about TV shows, we want to talk about uh, music, we want to talk about gaming, whatever. To narrow that down to just five, I had to come up with a with a with a specific eligibility criteria, and that and that just boiled down to one question: How much did this emotionally impact me? And that's that that to me is what makes an iconic piece of media. Yeah, if a, if 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 something doesn't engage with me emotionally, then I'm just gonna forget it. You know, it's just gonna be it's just gonna fall by the wayside. You know, and I, like I'm not I'm not hoity-toity about this. I can turn my brain off and watch a movie, whatever. I mean, like, look, man, I think Michael Bay is a fantastically <laughs> incredible. But weird director, uh, but I have a I have a soft spot for it because he just goes for it, you know. Um, like I have a soft spot for the first Transformers movie. I'm sorry, it's just turn your brain off popcorn entertainment. But at the same time, there are moments in those movies that I forget about because they just don't emotionally resonate with me. Whereas a TV show such as Chernobyl sticks with me because it's just so emotionally impacting, and it's just the way. The way that disaster is presented and the way that the Russian government is presented and what the great lengths that they go to to try and cover this disaster up, it impacts me because that is what I'm interested in. I mean, in my, you know, outside of podcasting, I work in law. So um, I'm always looking at true crime. I'm always looking at things like uh, things like to do with evidence and, and all that stuff. So for me, it comes down to the emotional resonance of of how it impacts me, and that that is so subjective, and that is why I like film because it affects people very differently in that way. No, that's a that's such a beautiful way to describe it. Because even going back to like my Anchorman example, like that's an iconic piece of film for me because I watched it every Friday in high school. I didn't go to high school parties. I was watching Anchorman and you know being able to recite the lines along the entirety of the movie. Something that's iconic to you is something that has emotional value. You know, something that you can look back on and. 20 years and have that nostalgic feel about it. No, absolutely, man. 100%. And by the way, I <laughs> I just recently watched Anchorman again, probably like for the millionth time. <laughs> just, oh, I, God damn, I love Brick. I, I just love Brick. 
<laughs> the, the third act is a little eh, but you know, the, the first two acts make up for it. <laughs> I always felt that way too. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to connect with Zoheb and listen to his podcast, Midnight Double Feature, you can do so by heading to Instagram at Midnight Double Feature. Once again, that's at Midnight Double Feature. Follow them on Twitter at MDF Pod or by joining their Facebook group, The After Party, where they have discussions about the episode. You can be involved in polls, have your voice heard. Just in general, a whole gang of shenanigans over on that Facebook group there, uh, The After Party. And as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and available under Zoheb's episode on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Once again, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Before we move on to the second story, as part of our having guests on for each episode, Water Cooler Talk is on a mission to help give back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. For each episode, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choosing to represent. On the day of the episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to the charity in the guest name, as well as a global platform to spread a message of love, hope, and togetherness. Uh, Zoheb, today your charity of choice for today's episode is the Red Cross Australia. Do you mind explaining a bit about what they do and how they have an impact in your community? Yeah, I mean, like the Red Cross, I mean, when you when you talk about charities here in Australia, uh, you can't go past the Red Cross. I mean, it's, uh, it's formerly known as the Australian Red Cross Society. They, they're always providing humanitarian aid and community services and like every every time you see it you hear or see a disaster the red cross are always there um they're always wanting to help out the community um it's just it's just it's just a fantastic organization that has uh stores available pretty much in every suburb nearby you know they are they're just absolutely incredible um i can't I can't. I can't speak more highly for them. I'm. I'm. I'm actually like a, like a loss for words for the Red Cross. They're, they're, they're brilliant. Well, no, I appreciate you sharing them and bringing them on the show. Um. So, all right, are you ready to jump into our final news story of the day? Let's get onto it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, in 170 plus episodes, you have not covered Zootopia on the podcast Midnight Double Feature. So, have you seen? First off, have you seen the film? I have. I love Zootopia. Okay. Okay. So. If you, if you, you can totally say no and I can just cut this out, but would you grant me the honor to do an off the cuff, what we can remember from Zootopia, mini version of one of your podcast episode styles feature presentation? Let's just do it. From the largest elephant to the smallest shrew, the city of Zootopia is a mammal metropolis where various animals live and thrive. When Judy Hopp becomes the first bunny to join the police force, she quickly learns how tough it is to enforce the law. Determined to prove herself, Judy jumps at the opportunity to solve a mysterious case, but unfortunately, that means working with a cynical con artist fox, Nick Wilde, who makes everything much, much, much harder. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a mini, mini, mini feature presentation of Water Cooler Talk Double Feature. In this mini episode, within an episode, we will be covering 2016 Zootopia, directed by Brian Howard and Rich Moore, and also co-directed by Jared Bush. So we basically, listeners, we cut, I cut a 108-minute movie down into 45 seconds, and we're going to review those 45 seconds. I don't know how you guys do it. Do you guys watch the movie while you're talking, or do you watch the movie and then talk after? We we watch the movie and talk after, and the like. The, the, the podcast episode ends up being like, longer than the movie often um but we did one we did one episode where we covered the fast and furious as we were watching it because it's not one of those movies that you can kind of get down into the nitty-gritty of yeah it's like a commentary add-on yeah yeah so that was really fun all right let me know when you finish watching those 45 seconds and then we'll break down that 45 seconds all right watch it now fear treachery 
bloodlust. Thousands of years ago, these were the forces that ruled our world. What did you do that made Mr. Big so mad at you? I, um, I may have sold him a very expensive wool rug that was made from the fur of a skunk. Sir, you were going 115 miles per hour. I hope you have a good explanation. Flash, flash, 100-yard dash. Nick. <laughs> right, I'm ready when you are, man. <laughs> All right. I mean, if it's your it's your show that I'm stealing here, so I'll let you, I'll let you start. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, this is I, I've never been more flattered in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, there's not much that I remember from Zootopia, and and like again, I know this is what we were talking about. We were talking about like you know, if something's emotionally resonant with me, then it sticks with me. I I can't remember why. I don't remember why I remember much about Zootopia. I remember it being a a great film. I mean, like I remember. Okay, I remember the sloth. Yes. Okay, like when when, <laughs> when she goes to the bank and the sloth's like super. I just remember losing my mind at that. Um, but I think around that time. There was another movie that was like really kind of like really hit me in the guts and that was Coco, which we did cover on the podcast. So, you know, I was like measuring uh, animated films by Coco at that point. But yeah, I I, I do remember, you know, th- this was this was a pretty important film in terms of the story that and message that it was trying to tell. It was trying to tell like a you can't be a you can't be a racist essentially <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. well, yeah i think right, you, know, you know like in that first 15 seconds the beginning you know they have this kind of like they start i think one thing disney movies do really well is in the very beginning of the movie they set up their universe so clear that obviously a children could a child could understand it and i think that's what they do in zootopia just from these 15 seconds i haven't seen it in so long but it's like you're setting up that all right there's the scared little bunny but then you have the logo which is in like a bright green childish thing so you know it's going to be a happy movie but it's setting up this universe and i think you know that's what disney does so well and then the middle clip is them in the being captured by the polar bears i think it's kind of like all right these two characters are going to get into to some dangerous situations potentially and then you know the end of the movie is a, a callback to the sloth joke and now hops and uh nick wilde the fox their best buds they're on the police force together so you know what for a 45 second review man i think it, it kind of goes through you know that plateau of a typical disney movie where it's like all right we're gonna set up the universe we're gonna set up this likable but not lovable character and they go through this zany thing they get in some trouble they save their self they solve the day and then it's all fun and happy do dandy at the end there that's a that's at least my review of zootopia real quickly no i agree <laughs> with that i mean like honestly the, the the three clips that you put together really showed the character arc of hops i mean you know you've got her the scared little bunny lost in the, like not lost in the woods but in the woods and then if you com- com- compare and contrast that to like how she ends up at the end there you know she's very confident she's strong she walks up to the the, the slot car you know uh with her partner and, and it just it's, it's just a fantastic uh arc essentially you know a fantastic character arc 
It was just such a great way to 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 break down that movie in 45 seconds. Well, Zoheb, what are your final thoughts and ratings for this mini, mini, mini version <laughs> of one of Midnight Double Features episode styles feature presentation? Uh, am I okay? So hold on. Am I rating? Uh, am I rating our mini, 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 mini feature presentation, or am yes. I rating Zootopia? You're rating the mini, 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 mini feature. <laughs> well, this is a ten, man. I mean, like I, you know what? We we there's always this thing where on our podcast, I'm trying. Me and Colin are very conscious of time. We we always want to try and keep the the runtime down, but that just we can't do that. Like you know, we have just so much to say about film in general. We go off in tangents. So this this being such a short breakdown <laughs> is is I mean a, a, a ten. <laughs> I gotta give it a ten too. I mean, you described it perfectly. There was the character arc of Hops in forty five seconds. Uh, listeners, Zoheb and Colin do it a million times better on Midnight Double Feature, so make sure to listen to their podcast, which is available on all platforms that matter for listening to podcasts. But, Zoheb, let's take Zootopia and bring it back to the water cooler talk episode style. This story is from Fox 9 News, Minnesota. This is uh, from June 9th, 2017. So, no... I did not mean to be ironic by choosing the story, but anyways. St. Paul Police screened Zootopia as part of anti-bias training. More than 800 employees of the St. Paul Police Department recently went through their annual equity training, and as part of the training, they turned to the animated movie Zootopia, uh, which won Best Animated Feature at the 89th Academy Awards, to talk about some serious issues they may face in their day-to-day patrolling of the streets in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I'm actually from St. Paul, Minnesota, Zoheb. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, The animated film Zootopia details the unlikely partnership between a rabbit police officer, Judy Hopps, and a Red Fox con artist, Nick Wilde, and has been praised for its handling of subjects such as prejudice and bias in an easy-to-convey manner for both children and adults. Sergeant Amanda Hugh came up with the idea while watching the film with her daughter and realized the themes in the film, which focus on Judy Hopps' move to the big city to become a police officer, are some of the same issues officers deal with on a daily basis. Sergeant Hugh says scenes like the one where the main character Nick Wilde recalls how he was discriminated against as a child can show how stereotypes have long-lasting consequences. Uh, in the film, the character Nick Wilde says, I, Nicholas Wilde, promise to be brave, loyal, helpful, and trustworthy. Even though you're a fox. What? Oh, oh. No, no, what did I do wrong, you guys? No, please tell me what did I do wrong? What did I do? No. If you thought we would ever trust a fox without a muzzle, you're even dumber than you look. I learned two things that day. One, I was never going to let anyone see that they got to me. And two? If the world's only going to see a fox as shifty and untrustworthy, there's no point in trying to be anything else. Sergeant Hughes stated, That was one of the most profound moments to us because it boiled down the psychological construct that perpetuates discrimination and prejudice in America. When you see the story, it has bias and prejudice woven throughout it. Some of it's law enforcement related, but some of it not law enforcement related. 
It examines bias through a completely different lens. Sergeant Hughes says the Zootopia bias training and discussion that followed afterward were such a hit that the police chief is looking at sharing it with other city departments and community groups in St. Paul. Uh, just to remind the listeners, this was from three years ago. Uh, Zoheb, as you mentioned, you know, you're a lawyer, you majored in criminology, you've learned the best and the worst of people. But when it comes to movies, can movies make us better, more adjusted human beings? Uh, in a nutshell, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think what Sergeant Hugh was saying uh, in 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 this particular article, um, which by the way, I, I remember when this article broke. I remember scrolling to my Facebook feed and seeing Zootopia. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember a hundred percent. I remember seeing Zootopia being used as like a as training material, and I was like, wow, that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I think I think I think films have just they have such a amazing power and oftentimes a responsibility to not only tell a story a a, a riveting or adequate like really good story but they can also change the the way that people think uh, and approach things you know i i 100 agree that you know movies you can sit down and watch a movies like a movie like transformers and just you know be like hey look this is interesting <laughs> things are blowing up you know i'm escaping from the from the world for a while you know covid and everything whatever everything that's happening with black lives matter right now it's just something that you know maybe you just need a bit of an escape from and it's fine to watch a movie like avengers and whatever you know you know be you know be transported off into a different world that's escapism that's fantastic but at the same time i think there are like movies that work as a metaphor you know to present a concept or an idea that there are there are that there are issues out there and this is the way that we should or can handle it or should should be able to handle it um those movies are to me just so absolutely incredible i watched a movie very recently it was directed by todd haynes who directed carol a while back Uh, it's a movie called dark waters um stars mark mark ruffalo it's about the the true story about how this uh, lawyer was approached by a, a farmer uh, whose land was being um, poisoned by the DuPont company. You know, I'm not going to go ahead and spoil the movie, but the revelations throughout that case made me think, like when I turned that film off, I was actually kind of like a bit more paranoid. You know, I was like, that movie actually had a profoundly emotional impact on me to the point where it changed my thinking on things. And I think movies, the best movies are able to do that, like Zootopia. Well, I I don't know. I was so... I'm so glad we were able to talk about this because I was so conflicted about this. You know, like I mentioned when we were talking before recording um, and I sent you the information, it's like, you know, what's the, is there like a short term, long term effect? And I definitely 100% believe, you know, movies have a short term effect on someone. You know, there's been plenty of times where I get done watching like, I'll go and watch Spider-Man. And then after I leave the theater, I'm like, I could be Spider-Man. Like, that would be so awesome. And I feel like, you know, I'm going to work out and be as flexible as Tom Holland and all these things. Even there was this movie, I think it was called Mr. Holmes with Sir Ian McKellen uh, about like an older Sherlock Holmes. But he used like felt tip pens to write in that movie. So after that movie, I bought a case of felt tip pens and used them once or twice. But then I was like, eh, I don't know. It's It's tough. It's tough for me. I understand the like, there's an emotional aspect to film on a long term, you know, we've been pretty much talking about like how I mentioned Anchorman, Goodfellas, all these things that kind of, you know, have influence in your in lives. But as far as like, to me, as far as making somebody a better human after watching a movie, I struggle with that. Because I think it's like, it's the same as like working out or trying to get to a schedule or something like that. It's like, it's fun to listen to motivating music, podcasts, look at motivating pictures. But there's a difference between motivation, inspiration, and 
determination. You know, you can watch a movie and understand the basic principles of it. You know, watching Zootopia, understand, you know, the prejudice and all of that stuff. But if you're not actively putting in the work after watching the movie, I, I guess to kind of, you know, shorten up what I'm trying to say is I do, I do believe movies can make people a better person, but you also have to put in the work after. You know, I just watched Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, uh, yeah, amazing wow. movie. Michael Powerful. B. Jordan is a fantastic actor. Like, watching it, I was like, man, the justice system, the prison system, the law system, all these things are just fucked up. Like, why Why is it like this way? And I, you know, after the movie, I did research and, you know, so it stayed with me a bit when it comes to Zootopia and the police. Obviously, we're seeing three years later that, you know, just watching a movie didn't change shit. On top of on top of showing a movie, there also has to be determination after. You, you can be inspired, you can be motivated by a movie, but there has to be determination after watching the movie to kind of become a more adjusted person better human being i agree with that man i mean like uh, honestly uh, it's it's it sounds like i'm agreeing with everything that you say (laughs) uh, no uh, like uh, the way i look at it is you you can take a movie as a good indicator of how you should act or feel you know about a particular topic and then you should do uh, additional research mm-hmm. or you should look at the other evidentially evidentiary material to fully inform your opinion about something or fully educate yourself on a particular subject matter like you know you were talking about you know just mercy just mercy i walked out of that movie as as a lawyer feeling so motivated uh like i could i could I feel like I could change things and I still have that motivation. You know, I I want to, you know, it is my dream one day to work for the government and to, you know, hopefully impact sentencing laws. That is my dream. Like that is my 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 motivation in life, uh, you know. Um but at the same time, that is something that had a profound impact on me subjectively, you know, like because I am already in law, uh, I already have a step like one like my best foot forward you know like whereas other general audience members who are going to watch just mercy they're not in a position of power to be able to do something they're not in a position to you know probably go out and get a law degree and be thousand thousand dollars in debt (laughs) in order to uh in order to potentially make a difference you know they're just going to see that movie and be like wow i feel i feel somewhat educated uh on brian stevenson who's this lawyer who came in and saved a lot of people uh, from death row and they're just going to take it as face value they're not going to do the extra research they're not going to contact their local uh their, their local member of parliament or district attorney or what have you um, I don't really know how it works in the states, but <laughs> but um, yeah, like they're not they're not going to go go that extra mile, and it, it is our responsibility if we are watching movies like this that tell a a, a profoundly impactful story where where the where the director is calling for change. It is I think it is our responsibility to look into the actual subject matter before deciding whether we want to help or not. I would say. This may even be low. Like 80% of movies have some message they're trying to tell. Obviously, you get like a Michael Bay movie where it's just explosion and hot women. We're, uh, we're hitting, but, we're hitting on know, Michael Bay very hard in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, like you, I also enjoyed that first Transform- Transformers movie. It's very good. But, you know, I would say 80, 90% of movies have some meaning behind them. You know, the director, the writer, they're trying to say something. And I, I think I think that's important when you're watching a movie. It's like, I, the, the movie I always come back to is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with... Um, uh, ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, yes. Every time I watch that movie, after watching it, I'm so freaking inspired 
But I know that inspiration in a week, two weeks is going to fade. And I'm going to need to watch that movie again to find that inspiration. So going back to Just Mercy, you know, I think a lot of people that, as you say, may not have that ability to be in the law field and make you know, change in that way that that lawyer did, Michael B. Jordan's character, they still kind of think about it after the movie, you know, they watch the movie, and they're like, huh, that's something I never thought about before. And maybe the next time they're in conversation, and they're like, well, did you know this lawyer got over 100 people off of death row? Or did you know one in nine people on death row are innocent? I think movies do have that impact to kind of make you more aware. Maybe that I, that's that's what I want my final kind of idea to be around this question is movies make you more aware. They may not make you a better human, but they make you more aware to the story the filmmakers are trying to tell. I absolutely 100% agree with that. I mean, I've mentioned this a couple times on our podcast where we talk about documentaries and this goes into a bit of what we were talking about in our previous uh, our previous question. The documentaries especially are just such a good way to introduce you to a particular topic that you might not have known about. But that's all that all that's all that that is. It's just an introduction. You know, it is created by someone who is not coming into it as objectively as you think. So it is on you to do further research and further like get further evidence on that topic in order to make a fully informed decision on something. Well, you even mentioned, you know, when watching The Last Dance, you don't watch the NBA. You're not a basketball guy. But after watching that, you're like, well, now I know who Michael Jordan is. And that's so interesting. Once again, going to that cultural difference is like Michael Jordan's everywhere in the US. Everyone knows Michael Jordan. Everyone who's ever picked up a basketball. They're either saying Kobe or they're, you know, doing dribbles and trying to be like Michael Jordan. So it's so interesting, like how, yeah, you know, film, media, documentary, documentaries, music, whatever. It's all about making you aware of something new. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Uh, Zoheb, there was a quote uh, by one of the officers who participated in movie day. They said, because there was not one human character, you could learn from it without being judged or feeling like you're putting it on you. So I want to ask you about that statement. Why do you think it's easier for people to connect to cute animals talking about racial discrimination than it is for humans to do so or connect with humans? Yeah, I think I think I think it's easier. I mean, th- that's from Sergeant Deanna Fink who said that, and she's. I think the way she feels that way is because it's it's more accessible. You know, like it's it's not as hard to watch. You know, if this was a human character uh, who's being judged or felt like it was being put on them, it would feel a lot more close to home you know it is a bit more uncomfortable it's a bit less yeah uh, it's it's tough it's tough to put i i I think disney really cracked the code here with zootopia when they're trying to tell this really complex and really important story with a very important message where they kind of substitute real human characters with you know animals with cartoon animals but at the same time they have the the morals and the 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 message being a very real world message i think what sergeant fink is getting at is it's it's much it's much easier for you and much accessible for an audience if if they're not actual human beings you know no i mean i definitely agree with like what you're saying it's like a lot of people don't want to be told to change you know going back to just mercy that's not a movie that says white people are bad It's a movie that you can show to maybe your slightly racist grandparents and be like, hey, this is what's wrong with the system. And this is why it, you know, screws over people of color. You know, some movies like that, oh, white people are bad and screw you if you're white. And it's like some people are turned off by that. I mean, you're seeing it every day here in the States with the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd. It's like people are being called out and people don't like that. So if you can kind of disassociate, you know, kind of what 
this officer was saying, if you kind of disassociate that blame onto this cute, fluffy bunny or a cute fox or I don't I think the bad guy was a goat in that movie. If you can swi- if you can, you know, change the blame to something that's not someone that looks like you. People are like, you know what? I get that. I get, you know, I get what they're saying. You don't feel attacked. And then when somebody tells you, well, you know what this act- movie is actual about, you can say, oh, I can see how that relates to me. I think people like to hear bad news or to change, you know, that they have to change their beliefs, be a better human from like something that doesn't relate to them because it doesn't feel like an attack, which it which sounds ridiculous that we have to tell people about like racial discrimination through a fluffy, cute bunny, but it, it works. Disney's been doing it for since Disney's been around. Pixar has been doing it. It's 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 one of those things, like I said, people don't like to be told that they're wrong. So sometimes they need a cute little bunny to do it for, <laughs> to do it for them. It sounds absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> they need a strong uh, metaphor or analogy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it, it helps in opening people's eyes. Definitely. Uh, Zoheb, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Uh, once again, listeners, if you'd like to connect with Zoheb and listen to his podcast, Midnight Double Feature, you can do so by heading to Instagram at Midnight Double Feature. Once again, that's at Midnight Double Feature. Follow them on Twitter at MDF Pod or by joining their Facebook group, The After Party, which I said, tons of shenanigans over there at The After Party. And as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and available under Zoheb's episode on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. Once again, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And then, you know, make sure as usual when we have podcast guests on the podcast, make sure to finish listening to the entirety of this episode uh, because we're going to put a clip of Midnight Double Feature at the end. It gives you a bit of a taste, but but just a taste. So if you like it, if you're hooked, if you fell in love with Soheb today, make sure to support their podcast by listening, sharing, buying. You guys got new merch out I just saw. Um, You know, it's a lot more fun when everyone finds success than just yourself. Zoheb Midnight Double Feature is coming up on 200 episodes. That is quite the feat, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Looking back at episode one to where you guys are now, what's been the impactful experience of doing your show? Wow. <laughs> um, the impactful experience of doing our show. I mean, honestly, it's I I don't... I specifically, after I put out the episodes, I don't go back and listen to our episodes. I, same, I'm same, one of those. Same. I'm one of those people. Who, exactly. <laughs> I'm one of those people who's just like I like if it's out, you know, people can enjoy it. I won't go back, you know. So if I was to listen to episode one that we did way back in March 2018, now I think I'd die of depression. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, I I want to believe that we've come so far in terms of team chemistry, you know, like Colin and I and Matt and I, I want to, I want to, I want to believe that we've come far. I want to believe that we are a bit more eloquent in the way we present things. I want to believe that our sound quality is better, but I think the most the thing that i'm most proud of is just the way our community has grown you know we're seeing it in the after party we're seeing it on our socials we're seeing it in our download numbers i i'm just so incredibly amazed at just the the community that we've that we've built you know like when we put out the podcast you know there's always that fear of like uh, you know who's going to listen to this who's going to listen to <laughs> to to us to you know people like us two guys here, you know, we're not we're not news reporters, we're not reviewers, we're not critics. We just love movies. Uh, like, who's going to listen to us? And you know, it turns out there's there's people out there, man. Like, there's people who are like willing to take a chance and 
we are just so incredibly grateful. So that's that's my uh, that's absolutely been my most favorite part uh, of seeing uh, seeing the growth. Absolutely. No, I mean, I I think we're on the same wavelength tonight. Uh, I or in the morning where you're at, we're yeah. It's it's all about the community, man. We wouldn't be able to do what we do if there wasn't the community. Even if it was like one listener, that's still one person who's enjoying what you're putting out and listening to what you have to say, and it just makes it all so magical. I just remember like. Even if we get, let's say, 20 downloads in a day, I'm just imagining getting up in front of a podium and talking to 20 people in a room. Yes. And I'm just like, God, mm-hmm. that would be... Okay, I'm not, I'm not like... Look, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not that great at public speaking. <laughs> uh, that's another reason, like, we started the podcast so I can, like, you know, get better at public speaking. So me, like, imagining me getting up in front of 20 people and doing, like, a presentation, it's just harrowing to me, you know? Like, it's, it's scary to me, but... The, the podcast helps me get through it and um, I'm, I'm just so again I'm just so grateful well thank you for sharing that uh, and as always thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Zoheb where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories and once again ladies and gentlemen if you'd like to reach out to the show with a local news story or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. And you can now find all of our content centralized on our website at www.watercoolertalkpod.com from any of the links mentioned in an episode, past episodes, social media posts, and much, much more. Zoheb, as I said, it is the guest job around here to close out the show because it makes my job hosting so much easier. So Zoheb, the floor is yours. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, I just firstly I just want to say, Adam, thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, this has been such a great conversation. Like, you know, we Colin and I, we talk movies all the time and we talk about the deep themes and, you know, everything they mean, the metaphors. But we we like rarely do we ever get to talk about, you know, like not not that, you know, the, the podcast is limiting or anything in that way. It's just, you know, we just don't arrive at those conversations. Rarely do we ever talk about the real world. And I think <laughs> I think I think the reason we do that is because the podcast is a bit of an escape for both of us, you know, like mm-hmm. we kind of use it as a way to to get out of our daily lives and, and, and we get to talk about a movie that doesn't matter. It just in the end it doesn't matter, but you know, we're here we are talking about it. This this has been really refreshing for me, man. I, I really appreciate having me on. You've been such a great gracious host and your podcast is absolutely fantastic and I'm a big fan. So thank you so much for having me on. And yeah, that's 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 a water cooler talk. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, listeners. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode. Until next time. Peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. What an episode. What a guest. What a time. Thank you to Zoheb for calling in from Australia to talk about those strange and interesting news stories. As always, make sure to support his podcast, Midnight Double Feature, by following the links in the description of this episode or by going to our website at www.watercoolertalkpod.com and make sure to keep listening. Uh, make sure to keep listening after the corrections for a tantalizing, quite, quite tantalizing clip from his show, once again, Midnight Double Feature. Also, make sure to support Zoheb's charity of choice for today's episode, the Red Cross Australia, especially to help rebuild their communities after the the Black Summer bushfires. All it takes is $5, you know, $5 price of a coffee to help make a difference. Or as I say, even just telling a friend slash coworker about a new cause 
around the water cooler at work. But anyways, to the corrections. In the first story discussing Carrie Mulligan's idea of testing Oscar voters, Zoheb casually mentioned the Best Picture winner of 1986. And you know what? Since we go hard here in the corrections uh, on things you probably don't need to know, but you never know if you might need to pull this bad boy out for trivia night, the Best Picture winner of 1986 was the film Out of Africa, starring Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. Uh, Zohib also mentioned Tarantino wanting to see a film while working on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I do, I do remember this story, uh, but for some reason I couldn't find a single article talking about it. So if anyone knows, email the show here at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com and I will add that correction in. And then Constant Wu is in Hustlers. She plays the character Destiny. We talked a bit about the most recent Best Picture category. The nine films nominated were Parasite, who was the eventual winner, Little Women, 1917, Ford vs. Ferrari, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, and Marriage Story. Peter Ferrelli, who directed Green Book, also directed Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, Something About Mary, Shallow Hell, Stuck on You, Hall Pass, uh, and ju- just a handful of those other 2000, early 2000 zany movies. And then to round out the conversation for our first story, a bit of information that, you know, I, I thought might be pertinent to uh, adding to our conversation. The last big box office hit to win Best Picture was The Lord of the Rings Return of the King in 2003. So in essence, it's been 17 years since the Academy and society have mutually agreed on the best movie of the year. And then in the second story discussing the impact of becoming a better person after watching the animated film Zootopia, the movie I'd mentioned was called Mr. Holmes with Sir Ian McKellen, and finally the big bad in Zootopia was not a goat, but instead a sheep. Uh, two different animals there, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Water Coolians, that's another Corrections Corner. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Once again, thank you to Zoheb for calling in and talking about some of the strangest and most weirdest news stories the world has to offer. But as always, that's your Corrections. That's your episode. So get out of here, man. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. Uh, everyone starts moving in, introducing themselves. Like, this is a big whole sequence. Uh, we meet this guy, Leahy, right? Wants to know what they're doing here. Barak gives him nothing. And I guess Victor Wong's, like, walking away as Leahy introduces himself was unscripted. Because yeah. Leahy <laughs> was, that. like, Leahy's, like, legitimately confused in that scene. <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty good. I love, I love when that shit kind of happens, dude. Like, 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 the other actor is completely confused what one actor is doing, and the director happens to capture it on camera and uses it in the final cut. That's awesome. Yeah, I, and I just, there's something, there's a, there's something very genuine about, uh, uh, is it Peter Jason or Jason Peter? I can't remember his fucking Peter name. Jason. Uh, Peter Jason, yeah, that I, that I actually really like. There's something very... Like he seems like the everyman in a lot of stuff. He seems like the person, like the person you would have to convince. Like, what do you mean there's ghosts? You know, it's like he seems like that kind of guy. But I love him. He's he's great. I always get this really good like feeling when he's around. I, I don't know what it is. I, I like him as an actor a lot. He's been in a lot of shit. He was like in Fallout Two. He was one of the voice oh. actors in that. He's done a lot of shit. And I was like looking him up. I was like, oh fuck. Like I've always just thought, oh yeah, it's the coach from Arachnophobia. You know, just like. I'm sure I've seen him in something. Like, I mean, like, honestly, if you 
If you like, if I googled him, I'm sure I'd find something. But like, when you, dude, when you said he looks like meatloaf, I, I can't get meatloaf out of my head. Right. Well, <laughs> and I also, I also love. You know, you're watching a carpenter flick when somebody busts out cigarettes in like the first oh. 25 minutes. I was like, dude, he's such a heavy smoker, John Absolutely. Carpenter. Absolutely. He looks. I'm like amazed. Death. He looks I'm amazed like he's still alive. I'm yeah. so I'm like, I just saw actually I saw him in uh, In Search of Darkness that that documentary he's in in a oh, bunch, yeah, yeah. Um, nice. and I was like, wow, you actually for how much he smokes, like he, I'm surprised how good he looks, but he just still doesn't look that good. Right, exactly. Um, Leahy's guy, right, looks a bit like Justin Long, like he's kind of assistant, dude. There. Yeah, <laughs> right. Come on, dude. Like that's Justin Long. I've always said if I could mimic anybody's career, Justin Long did comedies. He did oh. Idiocracy, Waiting, he's, Jeepers Creepers, Classmates Cusk, with like Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> he's Don done, like, for fuck's sake. Yeah, action movies, comic books, podcasts. Like, he does so much cool shit that I'm like, dude, he just seems like a cool motherfucker, man. I think I'd really like Justin Long. He, he seems really nice. He He just, he can't seem to escape the shadow of being the Apple guy. Like, do you remember he was, like, in those Apple ads? Oh, yeah. Oh, Fuck, dude. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Um, this guy, Frank, with the mullet, dude, that sweet, sweet mullet. Holy oh, shit, yeah. is that mullet sweet. And so, 80s, dude. Uh, okay, we meet Calder, and I'm like, shit, there's a black guy. Well, he's dead, right? right it's it's yeah. the fucking 80s. <laughs> I knew as soon as I saw Justin Long pop up, I was like, that dude is fucking going to die first. Because I oh. know... I know John Carpenter won't kill the black guy off, or he'll die at some point, he'll but die. he won't, you know, like, you know, but, uh, well, saying it, it, that and like, he's right. It's the nerdy no, research assistant who's dead <clears throat> for sure. Right. Yeah. I, uh, cause I will, I'm like, well, usually, yeah, the black guy always dies in a horror movie, but Keith David and the thing, I got to give him that. Yeah. You know, I, got, I like, I, 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 you, Keith David also was doing the voice of Spawn for Mortal Kombat. I didn't realize nice, that. Nice. It's fucking, dude, they got Peter Weller from RoboCop. They got Schwarzenegger and Keith David. And I was like, oh, nice. my fucking God. Like, that's so cool, man. Dude, Keith David, like, you know, speaking out about the whole Black Lives Matter thing, like, like his, his words have been so powerful, man. Like, I've seen The Rock, like, you know, put out some words and shit, but I'm like, I'm all about Keith David, man. Like, I love Keith David. The two people that I, yeah, it was Keith David and something Schwarzenegger posted from, like, 2017 where he was talking about you know he was like people who were like neo-nazis and confederates he's like you know that your heroes are losers he's like you fight for a lost <laughs> cause i was like damn dude that's so badass like to it's hear awesome. that in that thick ass german accent <laughs> oh totally totally uh walter's pissed because he had a date tonight right i fucking love walter walter's walter's hilarious about this whole movie um we have Lisa, who starts to decipher the book. Priest runs into the homeless woman. Um, it's so wonderful what you're doing, Father, opening the church again. And then she's got the maggots in the cup. Yikes. I can't. I can't go past the joke where he's like, "I really can't believe this is happening." I had a date with. I had a date with this beautiful young trial attorney from Central City. Oh right. yeah, where were you taking him? <laughs> my brother. <laughs> my brother used to do that shit to me all the time. Be like, "Fuck you, dude." <laughs> That's so fucking funny, man. I'm sorry. No, please. I mean, like, hey, it was funny, right? So, <laughs> Preach shows them the underground joke. Uh, underground joke. Underground tank. He's gaining strength, uh, and then you get the worms in the window, dude. That shit, like, uh, like that was like all the all the bug shit. Like, not so much the beetles, not so much the the ants. Uh, it's the slimy shit that fucking freaks me out. Like, uh, like it's the maggots, it's the worms. 